0: We've been preaching for uh, the last, about the last month, I think. <clears throat> From the thought where the Lord said, He said, You think you have life in the Scripture. Now, th- this is, you, you know, sometimes we walk on thin ice. The Lord really walked on a lot of thin ice because to them, The Bible, the the holy book, the scroll, um, they celebrated that book. They would kiss the book and put it in a special place. And now Jesus said, you think you have life in the book, but you need to reread it because that's speaking about me. So we've been looking at that. Search the scriptures, Jesus said. Search the scriptures again. It's talking about me. And so this morning I want to do that again. I want to make some connection with Old Testament and New. <clears throat> I want to see some of the old prophecy here that comes to pass in the New. And it's just exciting to me. I hope it will be to you. If you have your scriptures, uh, go to with me to the book of Psalms. It seems like David has been, has been one that has just... He's just there. What a prophet. What a prophet this man was. He's not recognized much as a prophet, mainly as a king. Um, Serving of God, he's anointed several times king of Israel. But God anointed him a prophet. He says things that no one else said. And they are 100% correct. Let me tell you the... the uh, The weight of a prophet. If he is correct. Now we have a lot of prophets prophesying today that are not correct. They're prophesying but it's not happening. Hasn't happened. Yet they have big followings. And so we're almost to the election again. I mean we're getting into the election cycle. And it'll start up again. Prophets will start prophesying who's going to be the president. And and that and... uh, that kind of stuff's not for us. The spirit of prophecy is for us. The spirit of prophecy is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so three years ago, all that stuff, well, actually almost four years ago now, I began to prophesy that Trump was going to be president, this, that, and the other. And I'm sure a lot of it was in good intention, but um, didn't come to pass. But to find out who a real true prophet is, Look at their words, if their words come to pass. Can you say amen? God said, I hate the man that says God said so-and-so, and I didn't tell him that. And they said that I said it, and I didn't tell him. He didn't like that. You wouldn't like somebody saying that you said something you didn't say. Neither does God. So we want to stay in the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think we're pretty safe there. So let's go to Psalm 101. And look at, or excuse me, 110 and 1 Psalm, the 110th Psalm in the first verse. Now you'll recognize this, but can you imagine David is just, where does he get this? What There's something in his spirit. I know that he's, you know, made his mistakes in his life. We, we, we know all about that. And thank God that our mistakes aren't put in a book and published for the world to read. Amen? And, and so it's easy for us to pick at, at David's mistakes and sin. But this, this man had such a... He had an understanding and a vision that other men in his time did not have but it was of Christ. And this is beautiful. So reading a psalm, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right. Now I'm going to take the word hand out of there because hand is not in there, neither in New or Old Testament. Sit at my right until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So we're going to work on that a little bit this morning. We're going to work on that. I want to go into the New Testament, and we're going to read the exact copy. The exact copy of that in the Lord's words, the book of Mark, the 12th chapter, book of Mark, and beginning at the 35th verse. Now, may I also say that the Lord says this directly on the heels of the Shema. The next thing he says, they come to him asking him, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, what? One God. And on the heels of that, the next thing that he says in verse 35, and teaching in the temple where he was, answering said, how do the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit off my right until I place your enemies as a footstool to your feet. Then David himself calls him Lord. And from where is he his son? And the large crowd heard him gladly and this is recorded in also in Luke and in Matthew. And I believe it's Matthew who said, They durst not ask him any more questions. Because now he's got it somewhere where they cannot even answer. So it's beautiful. We're going to work on this a little bit. It might be, you know, sort of like, not confusing, but... It's one of those places in Scripture we've always kind of, how does that work out? So we're going to work on that this morning and and just believe that God's going to have some light in it. Lord, we just ask you as we teach your word this morning that some light will come to it. Not that we know everything I don't, Lord. I only preach in the light I have. But, Lord, turn the light on this morning in our soul towards you, revelation of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Master. Lord, I pray that every soul would just reach out even more to you Lord, we preach these things so that we can become connected to you, so that we can know you. Lord, if Paul's like Paul said, he said, I have given up everything, I've counted everything as lost, that I might know him. So, Lord, this morning, that is the major issue this morning is that we know you, that we know you. Because if we know you, Lord, you can make us like you. And we thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Everybody said amen. I don't want to lose a single person this morning, so I might call for an Amen here and there and don't be afraid to say Amen. I know Brother Simon once in a while I hit something and he says, Amen. <laughs> that was funny the first time they were here and he did that and, and Tara said, Take it easy, brother. Take it easy. When something sits in your spirit though, something something just just burns in your spirit. Amen, that, that confirmation of it. Hallelujah. So yesterday we are in Brahms and, and we're talking to um, the man family and uh, him and I are down at the end of the table and we're just conversing about the Lord a little bit and talking about some things some scripture and different things. He said, you know what? He said, I was driving that bus and a guy went by me. I hope he doesn't say this tonight, but I'm going to relate this. A guy went by me in a big truck and and on that truck, he said it was like a, one of those that says logistics and, and, and a few other things on it. It's just a carrier. And but there's something stuck out to me in those letters. Um, that the three letters E G O. He said, i wasn't just driving. He said, and God spoke to me. Ego, ego. I begin to think about ego. And ego is, well. So the simple definition of ego is I, me, my, mine. It's all about me. So anyway, Brother, Brother man said he was going on and just thinking about these things. He thought about when he went to college and they had talked about ego and the different aspects of ego and, and all of that, you know, kind of psychological stuff. I think the problem in the church, the problem in the church is ego. Mm-hmm. It's about me, my, I, mine. It's a problem of the church. And so the church people have become invested in ego. And because of that, the church itself has become egotistic. All about me. I'm going to church, to see what I can get. I'm, I'm, you know, see, God, you know, you, you owe me this, you owe me that. You, it's just ridiculous kind of stuff. It's preached a lot in Pentecost now. God doesn't owe you anything. You're breathing his good breath, and there's only one thing owed. You owe him praise for every breath you take. Everything to have breath, praise the Lord. And so, anyway, Brother, Brother man says, I'm, I'm thinking about ego. And he said, the Lord began to speak to me about my ego. Everybody in this building this morning has an ego. And the Lord began to correct him on a few things. And then, then it suddenly, finally dropped on him. Is instead of the church being egocentric, the church should be Christocentric. I've contended this for years. I believe it. There's only one place for us to be, and that's in Christ. So as I talk about this this morning, I'm, I'm going to get down when we get to the end and, and, and talk about this little issue about us for a little bit. But David in the Psalms, once again, we can connect. We can connect the searching out what Jesus said. Search out those scriptures, and there you will find me. And and so he brings one up to our attention. And so David quotes this Verse. Now, if you're in the English reading and the English Bible, it's going to say, the Lord said unto my Lord. But if you're in the Hebrew translation, or, or rather the Hebrew text, which has been translated, the Lord said unto my Lord. It says, Yahweh said unto my Adonai. So I have something that's kind of a little different, because if we just say, the Lord said unto my Lord, I mean, it's like there's too many Lords there. But Yahweh said, to my Adonai. Adonai in the Old Testament would be equal to how we feel Lord is in the New Testament. You take the word Lord and and they can break it down and say, well, Lord can mean it's an address as Master, Mister, or Sir. But when they are calling Him Lord in the New Testament, it means more than Sir. It means the equivalent of what we would say Adonai in the Old Testament. Now, you know that the Jewish person cannot say the name of God. They can't say Yahweh. If you go and study on the internet and you get on a Jewish site, you will always see them refer to God as G blank D. They won't even fill the letter in because they don't feel like, you know, the Jewish... Jewish culture was that we're not worthy to say the name of God. And so they wouldn't use Yahweh, but they would fill it in. And then they would say Adonai. They would say uh, Yehovah. uh, But they always held that they would not say the name of God. Well, thank you, Lord. He broke that down in the New Testament. If you don't call on His name now, you have no access whatsoever and so, anyway, this Yahweh said unto my Lord. And so Jesus said, how is it that David says that Yahweh said to my Lord if, if his Lord is his son? How can Adonai be David's son? And they durst ask him no more questions because they can't answer that. Because this picture that is developing by the Lord is a picture that's that's going to end up, and they don't know it right now, but it's going to end up with a clear vision of who He is. And I said this a few Sundays ago. They traveled with Him for several years, but on the last night, He begins to divulge to them who He is. They're not able to really to to understand it. Um, Let not your heart be troubled not just because He's leaving, but because of the revelation that He's trying to give to them, their heart is going to be troubled. A Jew doesn't know anything other than just the one God. When they say the Shema, and they repeat it over and over, they repeat that last stanza, Echad, Echad, Echad. God is one, He is one, He is one. They don't know any division of God. They believe God is Yahweh God. And that's it. So this is not a proof of two different characters of God. So let me go on. Wait before you make judgment on this. But this isn't a proof of two different character people of God. But really what we have here is what, John, what Jesus said in John 4. Yahweh is a spirit. Yahweh is spirit. When he's referring to God, he says God is spirit. We're talking about Yahweh God. We're not talking about Allah, Buddha, or any other God, imaginary God of the countries. We're talking about Yahweh God Almighty is spirit. But Lord is God incarnate. See, the church has made a terrible mistake when they have have brought God into being either both finite beings or two infinite beings. We've, We've got a problem because really Yahweh, God's Spirit, Lord, Lord in the earth, Adonai, flesh, incarnate God, incarnate Yahweh. And God was made, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, the Logos of God. In First Timothy three sixteen, and God was manifested in flesh. And so, what we have is spirit, and we have flesh. All of you know that, that we teach this, we preach this. But the church has made a mistake by making both Yahweh and Lord either singular, infinite, or and or both finite. Yahweh God is not finite; it's not uh, finite. He is infinite. Let me say, He's an old man sitting on a throne. He is not; He is spirit. The one with features, physical, sitting on the throne, is the Lord. And so, you have spirit and you have flesh. And so, this concept's a little bit hard to understand. But, but I, I do want you to know that Yahweh spoke. To Lord Adonai, the Lord said unto my Lord, Yahweh said unto my Lord. And I believe, you know, we can follow that in the Scripture. In the Hebrews, the first chapter, we know that Him coming into the habitable world, when the firstborn came into, was brought into the habitable world, then who speaks? Yahweh speaks, Son, today I have begotten you. And then further on, thy throne, O God, speaking of the Son, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And then a voice coming out of heaven when they are on the mountain. You are my Son, the Beloved. So it is a fact that, yes, that Yahweh speaks to the Lord. And so when David says, the Lord said unto my Lord, yeah, absolutely, absolutely it happened and then Jesus says this this, this. this you have to understand to understand the motivation of, of what Jesus is doing. I do only the things that the Father says for me to do. That's all I do. He is Spirit driven because in Him is His Father. I, my Father, want my Father is in me and I am in Him. And I am motivated by the Spirit. Now let me tell you, this is an exact copy of the Christian life. You are in flesh. But as a Christian, you are motivated by what? By the Spirit. And that's why Paul says, if you walk after the flesh, you fulfill the deeds of the flesh. Everybody say amen? But if you walk after the Spirit and are motivated of the Spirit. And this is the Lord. The Lord is motivated by the Spirit that's in Him. It's the spirit of His Father. It is the spirit Yahweh that dwells in all the fullness of the Godness dwelled in Him bodily. And so in Him is this motivation of who He is as the Messiah, who He is as the Son of God, who He is as the Christ, but He is walking in flesh. And so if we understand that, The Lord said unto my lord, "You stay right here until I make your enemies to be your footstools." Then it seems very easy for us to understand that Acts the second chapter in the thirty-sixth verse. Let all the house of Israel know. Now, and, and all the house of Israel know is the priesthood, the elders, the rulers, the lawyers, and the laymen. All of Judea, all of Jerusalem. Let them know. And this is Acts 2.36. After, on the day of Pentecost, let them know that assuredly that Yahweh God has made this same Jesus whom you have crucified both Lord and Christ. He is both the, the incarnation of the Spirit of God and He is the Messiah. Messiah at the same time make no mistake of who he is now the disciples look at this now and they can see this in a different light than what they saw 50 days ago we're on the day of pentecost but 50 days ago he's in he's in a room telling them and trying to encourage them about who he is about where he's going and how he is coming back and presenting himself in his spirit to them and they don't quite get it they're going through they're going to have to go through some process to get there Just like you and I, revelation just doesn't fall off the tree and we just gobble it up. It's something that God does in our life. He begins to store in our life, here a little, there a little. He begins to show us the revelation of Jesus Christ. And over a period of time and over a period of process, we begin to understand better than what we knew five years ago. And I hope everybody in this church, and, and all of you know this, we've been preaching Christ, but you should be closer in your knowledge and revelation of Him right now than you were five years ago. Because there's only two places to go, and that's either decrease in knowledge or increase in knowledge. And so the Lord, through His, through his uh, apostles, always at the end of their books, Paul wrote many times, he said, he said I pray for you that you will grow in the knowledge and wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it took some time for these disciples. You know, we're Pentecostals. You come down here and you pray a prayer. And maybe speak in tongues. And you got it. That you're done. And I contend that you're just started. You just begin the journey. The journey is to know Him. The reward is to know Him. The reward is not heaven. The reward is Jesus Christ. And where He is, is where I want to be. If He's in heaven, I'm going with Him so we, we have to go through a process to understand some things. Everybody believe that? Say amen. And so we go, you know, I mean, there's a lot of ups and downs in life, right? We go through a lot of different things, just carnal things, just things that we go through with our kids and things that we go through in our marriages. I mean, it's just, just daily stuff that goes on. We get sick. You know, we have down days a little bit. Some of those things happen in our life, but at the same time, this process needs to be taking hold in us that we keep stepping towards the Lord. That no matter what's happening out here, that our hearts... And that's why, I'm going to tell you what, there's something special about going to church. There's something special about it because I'm not at home and I'm not dealing with that stuff. I'm here and now I have a clear mind. And I, the Lord, you can talk to me this morning, Lord. You can, you can reveal something to me this morning, Lord, that's going to help me deal with that out there. And so these disciples, they're supposed to know it all. They don't know it all. But on that same day, Peter gets up and he says, I want to tell you something. You've crucified the one who God made both Lord and Christ. They've got a new revelation, a fresh revelation of who he is. Because 50 days ago, he says, I don't know the man. I swear, I do not even know who he is. And now, fifty days later, he's up there, standing up there. Thank God for His mercy. Can you say Amen? And and listen, I had somebody come to me uh, many years ago now, and and kind of down in the mouth about it a little bit. Said, said, uh, boy, I'll tell you what. You know, I, I I just wasted a lot of years doing the church thing. He said, I just didn't realize, you know, about Christ and and. And, and, and about the fullness of, of, of this. And, and he said, I just, you know, I just threw away a lot of years. And I said, are you mad at yourself because you were eight years old at one time and you thought the world was one way and it really wasn't that way? Are you going to be down about that? That's just process, man. You've got to come through all that. You've got to get through all that mess. I don't care what your background is. You may have come through. We have brother. He was, He was a Catholic. And all he knew was Catholicism. He said, I didn't know the Lord. We just had Catholicism. We have people here from different backgrounds and different church raisings and all kinds of stuff. And none of that matters. It's all process. It all got you here. It all got you to a revelation of Jesus Christ because really, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ that is going to save your soul. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise right there. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So back to these disciples are going through some process. Don't hate process. Don't hate the process. Some things you got to get through. The shepherd was smitten and the flock was scattered. They had to regroup. Every single one of them left the Lord. Now if you read John, John, John kind of, I love John, but he kind of almost wants to say that he didn't do that. I mean, it's just really close. I'm the one the Lord loved, and I love the Lord. And, and uh, he was standing there in the court, you know, but he wasn't standing up for Jesus. He didn't go out there and say, hey, wait a minute now, you know, you guys. No, he didn't do any of that. Every one of them was scattered. Now they've got to regroup. Don't you think they're looking at each other? You know, they're just like teary-eyed the Lord had to stand there all by himself. And we, his men who've traveled with him, what kind of men are we? Now we failed him. We left him up there by himself. And Peter, I thought you had a sword. You said you were going to protect the Lord until you even if you died, you went running off. And every one of them now had to collect themselves, put themselves back together, draw the string of their faith back together that's a tough process every one of them failed the disciples spokesman who said I don't know the man and he is there he's their go-to guy if you have a group of people and you let's just say Peter was he was going to be the pastor and he was almost the pastor of them under the Lord even when they were traveling as disciples And now he has miserably failed. He's totally sworn off Jesus Christ. Somehow he's got to get the confidence of those men again. And so he's going to go through a process of trying to rebuild their faith in each other, in the Lord and in Him. bitter tears and frustration. They scarcely believed the record of Mary and the two men that were on the road to Emmaus. Those men came back to where they were. Mary came to where they were and said, the Lord is not in the tomb. And, and, And they just like, they weren't any better than Thomas. They took off running down to the tomb to see if Mary was telling the truth or not oh yeah, let's see if Mary's even telling the truth. And they get there and the Lord is gone and they don't know exactly what to do. They're just, it's just all process for them. They're huddled in this room hiding because of fear. They know that the Jews aren't done. The Jews want to get them too. And they're hiding out. They're huddled there for fear. But at least they're together. All except for Thomas. <clears throat> Jesus appears in the room where they're at. Well, I'm gonna tell you something. The Lord is he knows timing really well. He knows how to time everything out. He's letting them flounder a little bit and they're but they need to. You know, their their faith has not been right. He told them, don't let your hearts get upset, but they did anyway. And now they're in this upper room and and, and Jesus comes in the room. The door's being shut. The window's locked. Everything. And, and Jesus appears in the room. Well, this, this frightens them. They, they, Peace be still. It's me. Here I am. <coughs> he ministers to them. And then he breathes on them and so says, receive my spirit. But there's one more process. And, and, and I, I need to capitalize on this this morning. Is everybody okay? It's only 1130. It's one more process that they've got to go through. See, they've jumped over some hurdles, but there's some more revelation that they're going to need before they ever set out in the world to establish churches and bring this gospel to the nations. There's there's something that they've got to know. And so God designed it that Thomas was not there. I don't know where he was. He could have been at home. He might have been babysitting. I don't know if he had a family. You know, we think he did, but he could have been out buying a new horse. But the fact is, I believe God designed that Thomas was not there because there needs to be a further revelation in their life. They report to Thomas, the Lord was here, and he said, I don't believe it. (laughs) You guys are a bunch of liars. Now we have yet another problem. They, ten, ten men told him the Lord was here and he said, I don't believe you. I've met some of those kind of people. <laughs> you you missed it, man. I mean, the Lord was in that service. It was great. It was, And they're just like, yeah, right. And, and this is where Thomas was. But... But listen, I believe this is a design of God because yet there needs to be a further revelation. One more of those what what Jesus said in Acts 1, an infallible proof. Infallible proof. Some people are prove-it-to-me people. How many of you are prove-it-to-me people? Some people, we just, you know, it's not so hard to believe stuff. Over the years, now that I'm 68, I'm a prove-it-to-me guy. I've had too many people that told me things that just weren't right. Amen? And that would be from the pulpit on down just through life. But there's an infallible proof, and I want everybody to get this, because this is so powerful, so important. We, We go over this, and we really don't do it justice, so... I, I want to go to the Scripture and read that. John, the 20th chapter, if you go with me. Just a few verses that I need to read right here. And this is this, this story, this event of what happened with Thomas and those disciples. So in the 20th chapter, um, and begin reading at the 26th verse. And after eight days, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. The doors having been locked, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Bring your finger here and see my hands. And bring your hand and thrust into my side. And be not unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, Thomas, you have believed. Blessed are the ones not seeing, yet believing. From right over here all the way through, there is a blessing on you. You have never seen. Not one of you has seen the Lord. Some of you may have seen some visions. I, I believe in visions. I believe in some of those. But you haven't seen the physical body of the Lord. But yet you believe. How many would say this morning with me, I believe him even though I have not seen him with my physical eyes. I believe him. <coughs> so now I, I, I want to break something down here and then we're going to be done. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, Jesus said, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter made a declaration that the church is built upon. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And I believe all of those disciples kept that in their heart. And I said a few weeks ago that that Peter was defending that when when he said, I don't know the man. He didn't know the man of sorrows, but, but he was in a garden trying to defend that truth that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But you've got to go one step further. To his disciples, there's another step of revelation greater than thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What could be greater than that? It's the revelation that Thomas has received. So I need to talk to you for just a a couple of minutes about Koine Greek. And so I'm not a scholar, but I know enough to get in trouble. So, (laughs) the Koine Greek, of which our original text was written in, in speech it has... Five different cases. The nominative, the genitive, the accusative, the dative, and the vocative. So I don't want to deal with the first three, but I want to deal with the last two in consideration of this verse. Because I want you to know that this verse is the granddaddy of Revelation. So here's how it goes. Bible scholars want this verse to be in the dative case and if you study it, almost all of them are going to put it in the dative case because in the dative case you can indicate the indirect object or recipient of a verbal action for instance one can be speaking of someone else other than the person that they are talking to. That's the dative case. I can talk to you about someone else and address them to you but they are an indirect object in the sentence. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's a dative case. So if I can keep this verse in the dative case, what I can say is that Thomas was not talking about Jesus He was talking about God. And out of surprise and astonishment, he said what so many people use, and where do you think they got this from when you're ever surprised? And and boy, I just love it. I just tell Kay, you know, she likes to watch the house thing where where they fixed up the house and now they bring the people in there and it's what's the first thing they say? Oh my God. God. Now, I don't use that phrase because I don't like that. I feel like it's taking the Lord's name frivolously. I use gosh. I just, you know, oh my gosh. And I don't say that very much. But that's where this came from. Well, that's what Thomas said. He was just so surprised. It just, Jesus is there. Come see him. Get over here, Thomas. You weren't here last time, but you're here this time. I want to show you something. Look at my hands. Put your hand in my side. And stop all that doubting. And he says, oh my God. No, no, no. That's the dative case. You've got to go to the vocative case. The vocative case is the case of direct address. To the person to whom you are speaking, you are addressing them. Not an indirect object. So when Thomas looks at Jesus here, and I don't know how we can miss that. The scripture said, and he answered him. Answered who? He answered Jesus. And he answered him and said to him. He didn't say to him, oh my gosh. No, that's that's not what he said to him. But if you put this in the vocative case, which it should be in, by by all requirements of the Greek text, it should be in the vocative case. Let me tell you what it says. And Thomas answered and said to him, Jesus... You are the one Lord of me and the one God of me. See, these disciples need this. I don't know what the church thinks it's doing in this hour. But if you believe the Bible, if you believe the Word of God, The admission of Thomas should be the admission of the church. Well, I'm going with it. See, Yeshua Christ Jesus, He is both Lord in the flesh and God in the Spirit. David was closer to the truth centuries upon centuries ago didn't have access to a New Testament, didn't know even what a New Covenant was about. He's closer to the truth in ancient times without the advantage of Scripture revelation than 99% of Christendom. Because Christendom has forgot Christ and gone on. So what about us? And uh, what about our ego? What about... Who we think we are. Where are you with Yeshua Jesus? I heard a man preaching, he's preaching his head off. Man here screaming, yelling, stomping his feet. I'm getting my kids to heaven! Bless God, they're gonna get them to heaven! How are you planning on getting them there? Say a prayer? You don't get to heaven without a knowledge of who the Savior is. Without a newness of life, without Him birthing and resurrecting the dead spirit that's within your heart, that you become a follower, an advent follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to a place called heaven. No room for you there. At best, heaven might be a reward. Of those that follow Jesus Christ. Anyway. What about us? Where, where are we? Is He the door to go through to get to God? And then we walk through the door and we shut the door. and Now we're out here in God somewhere. No, no, no. I don't think He is. He is the door. But I don't think He's just the door. Is he just a sin sacrifice for my sin? I couldn't, I could not get my sins forgiven. And so Jesus came and he became the sin sacrifice for me, nailed my sins on the cross. Is he that? Yeah, yes. He is that. But he's not just that. Is he the diving board? I put this down because I like this. Is he the diving board into the pool of spirituality? Man, I can really get into some heavy revvies now. I, I understand, you know, I, I got my sands washed away and now I'm diving off into spirituality. If that be the case, you better stay on the diving board. So I think really the question is, can the Scripture be trusted? Can the Word of God be trusted? How many think the Word of God is true? We've got to start with that element. Okay, so let me read you a little something and then I'm going to close. I didn't write this, but Paul did. Speaking of the Son, the, the, the Lord, He is the image of, Of the invisible God the prototype of all creation because in him all things were created the things in heaven and the things upon the earth and the things visible and the things invisible whether thrones whether lordship whether rulers whether authorities all things have been created because of him and for him and he is before all things and all things consist in him he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn out of the dead so that he might be preeminent in all things. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise right there. And all egos come down and all praise go up. Can you say amen? So I hope that each one of us in this church can with the revelation that thomas had i hope that we can that we can understand his revelation enough to declare that jesus christ is the lord of me and the god of me can you say amen upon this now will your spiritual life begin to walk and you'll never get off the rock He's the rock. You'll never get to a place where you're off the rock. You will always stand on the rock. He will always build on the rock. Everything in your spiritual life that ever happens that's good, every understanding in your spiritual life will be upon the rock. Our God, our Lord, our Christ. He is both Lord and Christ Messiah. He is both God in the flesh and the Spirit of God in Him. He's our Jesus. Can you say amen? He's our rabbi. He's our king. He's our Lord. He's our mentor. He is our great example of everything that God wants in our life. Hallelujah. Would you stand with us? I hope I have encouraged you. Boy, I tell you what. When, you know, when somebody else preaches this, my heart just goes, whoa. And so I, ho- I hope that this morning when I preach it, your heart went, whoa. Oh, he is. Hallelujah. He is. Glory to your name, Lord. What do we think this whole thing is about anyway? If We think it's about us. We've got an ego problem. It's about him. To him be all the glory through the ages. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just love you, Lord. We just thank you, oh God. I've tried to preach any kind of light of your revelation, Lord, to our people. We love you, Lord. We want to see you for who you are. We want to exalt you for who you are, Lord. We want to give you all dominion, all dominion of this place, all dominion in our lives, Lord. All authority and dominion over this church, over our homes, over our marriages, Lord. We give you, oh God, place in our life. You are the highest. You are preeminent above all things, Lord. And we love you and we praise you, Jesus. Amen.